1: Welcome to the CSM Podcast with David Nickturn. Creativity, spirituality, and making a buck. blending spiritual and temporal realities, joining heaven and earth. We will be talking with a variety of manifestors, individuals who have, in one way or another, clarified their vision, created an offering, and brought that offering to the marketplace. Let's see what we can learn from them as we each move forward towards solving our own life puzzle. Facing the challenge of living in the spirit, in the body, in the world, in this time. If you're interested in supporting the CSM podcast, please visit eHearNowNetwork.com forward slash David. Thank you, Duncan, for uh, joining us on this uh, podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. And uh, the topic is one of the chapter titles of the new book, Creativity, Spirituality, and Making a Buck, which you chose, which is the topic of success and contentment. Yes. So that's interesting because you're operating in a... A world that these issues are relevant, right? Yes, so I'm just gonna throw it to you. What, what do you make of that distinction?
2: Well, because you know, I, I, I picked that chapter because I used to be the talent coordinator of the comedy store, mm-hmm. and um, which means I uh, this is when Mitzi Shore was still running the show there, and uh, I was. The second to last talent coordinator that worked under her and I would say I was the last talent coordinator to work under her when she had when she was all there because she had Parkinson's and Mm -hmm. so there was some uh uh you know the things that go along with that and just getting old in general but I was mostly her assistant but what it did is it gave me a kind of uh chance to Connect with every like at the comedy store. All these various levels of comedian, from like open micer to super successful comedian, mm. and um, that's where I made friends with Joe Rogan, who became my mentor in comedy, and then and and started taking me on the road. And there are all these encounters with success, um, and the and, and the encounters with success in the beginning, they were I was encountering with a mind where. Any, or just, you know, this was when TV still meant something. Mm-hmm. There, The internet was there, and there was like this, this was, this. I think this was even before Dane Cook started using MySpace to promote his comedy shows. So in those days, if you wanted to make money as a stand-up comic, there was no option to have a, a successful YouTube video or a successful podcast. Comedians would actually go on the road, and they would have placed on tables cards, and people would write their phone numbers down. <laughs> that that, and they would get these mailing lists, phone number lists. E- you know, this was like that was what you would have to do. You you a, a stand-up comic, not getting on TV would become what was called like a road dog, is mm-hmm. what it was called. Mm-hmm. And basically, you would have you would do morning radio. Mm-hmm. You would hopefully get booked at these clubs and you would have to do almost like a political campaign for your career Mm -hmm. and and over time if you were lucky you might have get crowds come and show up so that was the time period when i I, that was the very end of that time period and in that time period getting on tv meant everything for a comedian because suddenly you were exposed to like the markets and then you could people come to see you at clubs and that means you could book time at clubs because what club is going to hire a comedian that isn't going to have a draw outside of the draw of the club. It's called having a draw.
1: Sure.
2: So for me, running into a comedian at that, now you run into someone who's been on TV. It's like, we've all been on TV at this point now. Mm-hmm, it's like what Andy mm-hmm. Warhol's, like, literally, almost every single one of us at this mm-hmm, point mm-hmm. has been on TV. It seems like, but at the time I would, I can remember getting on the phone with the Scott, Randy Sklar. These are two, a comedian duo. And He had just been on some TV show. I can't remember what it was. It was just a TV show. And I said to him, how does it feel to have made it? Uh, And I meant it. uh, I really meant it. And he said to me, what are you talking about? I think he thought I was being sarcastic, like I was messing with him. Like he didn't realize I'd just come from a liberal arts school in North Carolina. And in my mind, this guy had made it. (laughs) And he's like, Duncan... We have not made it. This is not making it. I mean, I, I don't think I even, at the time, I probably thought, like, people on TV are getting paid instantly hundreds of thousands of dollars. You're getting, you know, some kind of SAG fee, maybe five or $600 <laughs> per appearance, if that, you know? But in my mind, it was just the most incredible thing. And so that's when I was like, oh, okay. For him, where he's at, is it sounded in his voice like it was almost like he was... I'm not going to say failing necessarily, but just he wasn't where he wanted to be.
1: So, in your mind, he was successful. In his mind, he was not successful. Exactly.
2: Here's another example of that. There was a comedian, Freddie Soto, the comedian who got me into doing. Who who was the one who like encouraged me the first time to be a comic? And I so there's the comedy store van, and the first job, the second job I had there was to be the runner. And the runner rides around in the comedy store van and essentially drives Mitzi to appointments. Right. Go get me a cow tongue sandwich, honey. <laughs> yeah. You have to go get this weird food for her. And it was just a, and, and, and in, in the old days, this was considered a really great job for a comedian because she would pick comedians to do it. And it meant she thought you were funny and she was going to start training you to be a comedian. Now, this was no longer the case. Like, like an apprentice. Like an apprentice. Right. That was the cell. that was like the way they hooked you. Reality, you're riding around in a van, Mm. you know, driving a a woman to her uh, appointments, but then the, and and you would think that, how am I learning how to be a comedian? And yet, actually, she would say stuff to you during that time, you know, but she would never let you think she thought you were a comedian because that would ruin it, you know. Mm -hmm. But like, anyway, the point is, Freddie, as he's training me to be the runner, because he was the runner before, he had me drive him to a UPS commercial audition for UPS. And I remember sitting outside in the van as he runs in there to do this audition, thinking to myself, man, one day
1: (laughs) I'm going to go on
2: UPS commercial (laughs) auditions. And I was excited about that idea. Like, I wonder if I'll ever get to that level. And
1: how old were you at that point? I was
2: like mid twenties, Uh you know, i would just gotten out of college, but I took some time off before college. So, um, In my mind, that was success. And then, anyway, the point is, every single level of success, my encounter with people who are successful, Mm -hmm. they never really seem to think they're successful.
1: You mean as you met people who actually were kind of well-known and successful, they still didn't feel that they they didn't have the contentment?
2: I've had conversations with... Mm -hmm. There's a, actually a phenomena that I have not experienced yet that you hear about. And it used to be that, that it's a tonight show phenomena. So, um, have you ever heard of this? The tonight yeah. show depression? Oh, that you got on the show, but then you were. You get on the show. Yeah. You finally get on the tonight show. Right. You do your stand up. You get off stage. You go back into your green room. Maybe you sign some forms. You get in your car, you drive home. Maybe you got some texts, some contact from people. You still have to go to bed. Mm. Now what? You go to bed, you gotta wake up in the morning. Mm-hmm. And, that, and, you, and And it's a comedian's report, This many of them. This kind of terrible depression sinks in. Another version of it is on the road. Mm-hmm. You have a great show. Right, right, sure. You kill. People are coming up to you after the show. Oh, so funny, so funny. Then you go back to the hotel. Forensic files is on. You lay in bed, <laughs> jerk off,
1: <laughs> order
2: a sandwich.
1: Yeah.
2: You're in your boxer shorts. Now what? And and so it's like p-
1: postpartum depression. I yes. Like. Very similar.
2: Yes. Right? And 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 um, it's insidious because you. you it's cliche, it's insidious, but yeah, it's a um, having, you know, you witness these comedians and, and they are incredibly successful. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're talking some of the millionaires,
1: mm-hmm.
2: hundreds of thousands of dollars at the very least. And you sit with them sometimes and they are so depressed and so unhappy and so paranoid. And so miserable. And we hear about it all the time. Right. They die. They overdose on pills. They shoot themselves. They get in a drunk car accidents. They leave behind a trail of like children mm-hmm. with no parents. And yet, if the world saw it, they would think, oh, success. Sure. They've got it all. Mm -hmm. They're famous. They've got the coolest job on earth. But they're dying on couches. At friends' homes, on pills. Freddie Soto, who got me into comedy, died of a drug overdose. They're asphyxiating on their own puke.
1: And so now you entering that realm which you 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 live in that world right yeah by choice right
2: yeah absolutely
1: and also by creative bent which is part of the, what the books about is that your creativity has led you to want to express yourself in this way right
2: yeah it's it's still natural it it's,
1: feels good yeah i love it and uh, how do you kind of calibrate your own sense of success then after having seen what you just described. Well,
2: I am um, my main job is, you know, you just taught me something that I didn't even realize I was doing, that Trump or Rinpoche told you, which is hopelessness. And when it comes to stand-up comedy, I have found that state to be my dearest friend. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean a depressed form of hopelessness. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I just mean, I love doing it. I get on stage and it brings me joy. Mm-hmm. And that is what I like to do. I have a podcast, so my podcast is my job. It sustains me. So I feel, that I have a success now. Like I, I know that I have success. I have mine. In your own
1: terms, you you feel successful. If somebody said, Are you successful at what you're trying to do? You'd say yes. Absolutely. Succeed. And would you say you're content also?
2: Well, the reason I'm content right. is not because of the success, but that's not to say that the success doesn't take away the success creates a space where you can practice in a unique way. Mm-hmm. But but if if I didn't have this the practice i've been learning from the ramdas retreats i don't know if i would think of myself as successful i might be sick mm-hmm. um with greed mm-hmm. or who knows what else so yeah my i feel successful the reason i feel successful is is more because i i have like a community of friends that i'm connected to and that makes me feel very successful but mm-hmm. the other it's hard to say because like I want to, say se- you know, you end up sounding like a real fucking high road and son of a bitch when you're like, it's not the fact that I'm supporting myself through my art that's making me happy. That's definitely part of it.
1: But, um, well, that, that's the point of view of the book is that you can integrate these three things. That's the whole uh, intention of the book. You, you're a creative person and you're expressing yourself. You've chosen to bring that to your livelihood as yeah. opposed to as a hobby on the side. Yeah. Yeah. So you've had to learn how to do the business of comedy, yeah. Make deals and get paid, and hire people you need to support you, and you have some kind of well-being that you're cultivating throughout the whole process. That's right. That, that's exactly, you know. I'm, you know, if there's any aspiring comics out there, it's like this. This is we're we're t- trying to talk to them about this possibility.
2: Well, let me tell you something. Rogan said to me once mm-hmm. when so you you know like Ro- Joe Rogan is a one of the most generous people I've ever met in my life. And he is a, he, one of the things that he does is he will, if he, if you're, if he thinks you're funny, even if you're not at the time, which, you know, I, I don't think I was when he saw, it. I just got lucky. He was in the back of the room. He, he saw me tell a joke that killed. I got off stage. He hugged me. He's like, man, you're funny, and that's Rogan telling you you're funny, and you're like, oh shit, whoa. <laughs> and then he starts inviting me on the road with him, and then from and then he became my friend, but he was also my mentor for a long time. You Con- mean as an opening
1: act, or is it
2: opening for Joe? You get right. to open for Rogan. I've watched him do this now with
1: wow. So that's generosity right there. That was very generous.
2: It's generous for me, yeah. especially like I had this satanic puppet act I was doing. That was this is when he was on Fear Factor, so the people coming to see him they weren't like. These were like people who liked Fear Factor. Mm -hmm. They weren't necessarily Rogan fans. Rogan's comedy is raw and hilarious. And like, Mm -hmm. you know, people coming from TV, they're just like, what the fuck are we seeing here? And like, Mm -hmm. he thought it was so funny that I was doing the satanic puppet act in front of these people who were just horrified. Like some of them were like, just scared. Some of them confused. (laughs) But he thought that was just hilarious and he was letting me do that and he was he would just say just do it just do it do whatever you want just bomb i don't care just do it he was really he's a great mentor but i remember mm-hmm. we were at a, he took me to a fear factor some kind of fear factor banquet mm-hmm. now this is when i'm dead broke so getting invited to a banquet for a starving comedian is really great because there's food
1: because you're going to be eating
2: really good food. It means you're going to get a salad. You're going to get maybe like a a steak or there's going to be actual food instead of the shit you've been eating. Like when I, when you're a starving company man, I remember like having friends come over and they open their refrigerator. Two comedians came over because I used to live right by the comedy store and they open the refrigerator and I have cheese, just packaged cheese. And one of them goes, "You have cheese," <laughs> and they start eating the cheese like, like they're were, they were refugees or something. Like we were, you know, we were broke, and so he takes. I'm at this banquet, and there's this great food, infinite foods, infinite wine, infinite food, and like fear factor shit, like a, 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 a an aquarium with those fish that you could stick your hand in and sticky. Anyway, this is what he said to me. He said, "Success." It's not like it makes you happy or not happy he said it stops the clock from ticking he's like right now you have a ticking clock in your head you're worried about your bills you're worried about your rent you don't know if you're going to be able to pay for this or pay for that there's always this ticking clock i gotta Mm -hmm. figure out a way to make Mm -hmm. this Mm -hmm. much money for the Mm rent. he's like when you get a lot of success that clock stops ticking Mm -hmm. so now you don't have to now you don't have that constant gnawing anxiety that is the worry that you won't be able to make your bills or make your rent? Mm-hmm. That's true. Right. But then, when that clock stops ticking, yeah, you realize there's a lot of other clocks.
1: The next ticking you hear is going to be a bomb.
2: Yeah, that's right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, you know the other um, dimension that you know I thought of you in relation to the book is this sort of uh, in the creative chapters we talk about daring. You know, wanting to, to um, that it takes some kind of leap actually to be creative. Have you found that to be true? Have you had to kind of leap over yourself in a way to, to, um, absolutely to express yourself? In, absolutely. In an honest way? 100%. You have to, uh,
2: if you know, you know, like certain things, certain jobs, like, um, that are desirable jobs compared to other jobs. Right. If there wasn't that leap, everybody would be doing it. If there if there wasn't like the leap of of uh, risk it's like deep treacherous risk and not like movie risk you know like in the movies if you take the risk if you take the big leap yeah. of faith it always works out you know sure maybe there's going to be some trouble along the way but it always works out and that's the
1: movie leap of faith And what about the relationship between success and risk because that's a sort of interesting Uh, you know, you get successful being a certain way, doing certain things, and then you go, well, I'm feeling like this other thing coming on here, but I might blow off my constituency. Yeah, sure. And and I could see, you know, um, uh, I also see that tension with people who are doing uh, uh, livelihood work and spiritual work. You go, well, maybe you need to, like, pull back from your success for a minute here and really do some deep practice for example right so a question of balance and priorities so have you felt a tension between like okay I'm getting my everybody thinks of me as this like even here at this retreat they think of you a certain way you're fulfilling a certain role yeah sure now all of a sudden you're turning into a contemplative in front yeah. of everybody's eyes yeah you were the kind of sparky kind of cynical crusty yeah. uh, inquisitive uh, younger guy and now you're sitting there, kind of in a kind of contemplative space, you know. Yeah, because you were being.
2: Because what happened was, I I, I realized that um, if you are a liar, mm. it's not going to work out for you. So period. Period. Mm. If you're a and and, and um, so when it comes to anything that you're doing, if if you and for me, what started happening was, oh yeah, okay, this stuff is actually not real it it, not only is it real it's it's vital Mm. and then you realize like oh this is this is if if i start feigning disbelief in an attempt to (laughs) seem cool you know which which is i mean
1: feigning disbelief yeah usually people are feigning belief right that's right yeah you're it, now you're, you have to feign disbelief that's really funny well
2: the person who called it mm-hmm. called me on it originally was um gosh what's his name uh lama uh das uh-huh. i was because uh, i'd just done one of these things and i was sitting up there and i was trying to be as like fashionably cynical as i could be mm-hmm. to be like ah you all you know <laughs> old crusty hippies with your crazy n- n- ideas and mm-hmm. it's a bunch of sh- i didn't say I, mean, I was being respectful but it was like you know yeah. playing the part of this of the jaded yeah. cynical person but inside you know ha- i was had already been having experiences and feelings and uh, of connection and and the beauty of the thing that weren't matching what i was saying on stage and so lama Suryadas uh is a llama. he's in a hawaiian shirt man you guys you know you're tricky because you you from movies and stuff we have this idea that you guys are going to look like something you know out of harry potter or something you know and when you're camouflaged in yeah so a guy in a, a trained mm-hmm. buddhist teacher mm-hmm. in a hawaiian shirt comes up to me he's like might i offer some uh, uh, may i offer uh, some critique
1: mm-hmm.
2: and i was like sure you know
1: that's I, how he said it
2: yeah it was very polite he's like do you mind if i offer some critique of what you're it was very polite and i was like oh yes please and he sits down And he says, you know, that thing you're doing, you know, where you're like, he was talking about the skepticism and Mm -hmm, stuff. mm -hmm. He's like, you know what that's going to look like in 10 years? It's going to look like when you see videos of hippies in the sixties going groovy, man, (laughs) and what he was saying is like, you're being fashionable. Mm -hmm, You're mm -hmm. trying to be cool. You're trying to be like, Mm -hmm. what is the current way Mm -hmm. to be, which is like, let's all like roll our eyes at this shit and Mm -hmm. like be super cynical. And that's not who you are.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And that was when he said that to me. It was, and I realized like, oh man, you just opened the door and a lion walked into your lot. You just let a lion in mm-hmm. that was wearing a lion in a Hawaiian shirt. <laughs> and it was what you were talking about, wrathfulness.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And and then he said, you know, something on the lines of if you keep pretending like that, it can kill you. Mm. And I know what he meant. I know what he meant, and it, it can kill you. I mean, the the uh, it's so unethical. Yeah. It's so the karma is so bad. Like it's so disgusting mm. to be that level of a sellout that you mm. would rather have some jaded audience, I guess, appreciate mm-hmm. you as some kind of with uh, a big paycheck. Well, yeah, yeah. You know,
1: you would exact all the accoutrement. You know.
2: Well, I mean, it's satanic, isn't it? I'm going to make a shit ton of money by telling people not to believe something that is giving me great happiness in life.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: What could be more horrific than that?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Absolutely unethical and, and, not fit, and completely antithetical to the idea that I'm going to be this skeptical person. A, 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 a scientist reports results yeah. and also reports this is why the results may not be real, which mm-hmm. I'm completely willing to do. Mm-hmm. So anyway, yeah. And also the other thing that I found, though, is from that, whatever you want to call it the honesty which can a lot of times you have to overcome a lot of fear to do that it's the opposite effect Mm -hmm. it's not as though now everyone's like shut the fuck up (laughs) (laughs) you know it's like that i fabricated that audience Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i don't know that that audience exists Mm -hmm. i sit on my podcast sometimes and i'll be apologizing to someone who i think listens to my podcast and it's like you woo woo hippie person why do you say this shit and i'll talk to that person like look i know this seems ridiculous to you and then i realized oh i fabricated that being
1: mm-hmm. well so looking at the other you know <clears throat> turning it around the other way you know you're saying that the um edge a fabricated edge is not going to serve you in other words even though it might appear to be sexy or appealing you know like this guy's edgy you know yeah but on the other hand, and, and we we're agreeing that fundamentally you don't want to fabricate that edge, but then there's a the real edge, which is sort of um, an essential ingredient of both creativity and spiritual practice, where you kind of go more towards the edge of the experience uh, to uncover that, may, that which may not be obvious. Or, yeah. Or, or that which may be covered by habitual kind of patterns of all kinds. So... That's the sort of flip side of that edge. That edge is kind of how do you see that edge um, as a as a positive element in kind of in your creative pursuit and in your spiritual journey? It is
2: okay. Okay, I'll t- I, I can answer that question. I, and the and the mm-hmm. best way to answer it is this. You know, I love. Uh, we just had this great conversation about wrathfulness and mm-hmm. and it not being like well, the way you, when you hear it, you think of someone screaming or something or <laughs> throwing shit at you. But what it really is is someone going right to the heart of the the, mm-hmm. the thing. Mm-hmm. So there was a time it, it, when I was doing comedy and I was in—I was lying to myself about a lot of different things. I was in a kind of uh, a difficult relationship that I, that I sh- was prolonging and shouldn't have been, essentially. And um, this comedian Jay Lon- London, who is a one-liner comedian, he got on Last Comic Standing. I think he won it. But he's kind of like this shamanic figure. Literally, he's like, you just, you just see him and he's, he's a shamanic being. And we're at the improv. He just walks up to me and he's like, how you doing? And I'm like, I'm doing great. Big smile on my face. I was miserable. And he looks at me and he goes, you know, if you're not telling the truth to yourself in your life, it bleeds out on stage. Wow. And it hurt so bad because yeah. I know knew what he meant. It's like, man, these are this is the audience. It's a group mind. Mm-hmm. You think they can't sniff out your self deception? Mm. Please, you're not fooling anyone. It, you know. And so the way it applies to comedy is if you can get your day to day life on on the beam, so to speak. You know.
1: So that's that's a voice for like having a balanced existence and still being successful and 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 uh, absolutely and funny. You think it's all possible to do all of it? So, what well, because think... the edge to me is where you think maybe it's not possible. Maybe I have to give something up, or maybe I have to change something, or shift, or you know, uh, it was it was very intriguing to me to watch uh, you know the, the Gary Shandling, yeah, doc, because I felt like and and you know. You know I know a lot of comedian friends. I do know that. You know, and, and so this is an intriguing area for me. I love comedy. I, I love to laugh. I like to yeah. you know, kid around and, and I, I like the art of it and the artifice of it and the commerce yeah. of it. I'm intrigued by the whole thing. I live in a nearby colony which is called the music world. Yes. You know the musicians world. They have yeah. very similar very things, similar but but some differences. So, you know, can what would happen? if you were true but not funny? For example, there's an edgy question. If you were true but not funny? Yeah, you said it's important to be truthful. It's important to be honest, emotionally honest. And if that led you to a place where you were not funny, what would happen? Which path would you choose? Well, I I don't think... Because in the Gary show, uh, Gary Shanling documentary, I felt like they teased that edge there in a very intriguing way. He was, as he was getting older and sicker and things like that, I think it was more... He was asking deeper questions about about life and so forth, and maybe maybe the short hop is to get a joke out of it. Maybe, but maybe you have to skip that to to get into the meat. I'll of tell that. you what I did. Yeah, I stopped doing
2: comedy until I felt like I was funny, until I felt like I was back on the beam again. I mean, I just stopped. I uh-huh. and 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 and, oh. he, and
1: he sort of did too, right? Didn't he?
2: Yeah, yeah, I think he did, but he would he was like massively successful when when he's you know like I think I don't as I yeah. recall, yeah. But for me, it was like. I mean, I, I'm a mid-level podcaster, mm-hmm. but my feeling was, with it is like, well, you know, right now I don't really like what I'm saying up here. It doesn't really feel like it's reflecting how no. I, I I think in the world, and, and and I didn't, I so I just stopped, and then mm-hmm. um, and now I've started doing it again, and I love it. But I um, my so my feeling with it is. Number one, very important. The two are not mutually like. I don't. I think that you can always be that whole superstitious fear that comedians have that they're funny is going to go away. Uh huh. I, I if just, they
1: get if they get kind of
2: always sane
1: or whatever, right?
2: But I think this is just the way. Like you know, what happens? Uh, Mara, the Lord of the Earth, appears to Buddha, and there's the three temptations: the fireballs, the daughter uh-huh. of Mara, the question: uh-huh. Why do you deserve to be the Buddha? You uh-huh. know. Uh-huh and i think walking down this path this thing will appear
1: mhm demarus
2: yeah. yeah and i'll try to tell tell you that for you to continue down this path you must give up the thing you love to do the most whatever it may be
1: sure. like job in the bible right yeah so sort of that
2: that idea and 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 then what happens is you realize that you when you give it up Paradoxically, is the moment you've t- you've started doing it.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You know what I mean? Like the moment you're like, okay, sure, all right, bye bye comedy. Yeah. I'm not going to do that anymore. Bye bye comedy. Mm-hmm. Then you start getting funny uh... because this stupid, weighty, dumb idea of what you thought comedy was, mm-hmm. based on seeing other people and what mm-hmm. you thought was cool, and all this crap, mm-hmm. you just let go of, of yeah. all the things that's, that were holding you back.
1: Would be, it, it be this would be an interesting question to ask your your friend um, Joe, who's a a fighter, but we—I trained a meditation teacher in Japan, and she actually is a translator for UFC. So I've seen on TV with between these huge fighters, she's you know yeah. Japanese woman. But she started to teach meditation at some of the uh, training places, and one of the fighters came up to her and said, "You know, I like this kind of settled quality, and I like this practice. I'm a little concerned that I might lose my edge and and not want to fight." Yeah, and you could pass that question by with a kind of glib answer but it's something very deep in it actually you know if it wasn't for the maras what would you be doing Mm. if anything Mm. so it's uh you know of course there's things that are said about this that the what would occur is without the maras being the motivating force is more spontaneous more organic more filled with wisdom and compassion just by nature that's the logic of it but still that's not somebody being at the edge of saying I'm, you know, and there is in our tradition a lot of giving up in very famous stories about famous yogis like Milarepa and, you know, and Gampopa and these, you know, who had to give up whole things, uh, um, including financial resources, including opportunities, including relationships. Yeah. You know, so are we, if we look at the edge of that question, where does it take you? What do you mean, giving up? Yeah, like where to surrender or letting go or giving up um, take you if it takes you into new territory? Totally new territory. Completely unfamiliar territory.
2: If you're an artist, <laughs> I, I think if you're an artist,
1: yeah.
2: or whatever, yeah. um, a cartographer maybe mm. is another way to put it, mm-hmm you want to get off the map no one gives a shit like if like some you know if like think about that yeah a a cartographer meeting yeah and there's like a cartographer in the meeting who just goes to places that have already been mapped and redraws those places Mm -hmm. and shows the other cartographers his maps who cares right we have these maps detailed gps aerial maps right who cares (laughs) <laughs> about your dumb maps like if there's a million maps I
1: do when I'm going to Italy for example I do care
2: you care about the maps yeah. but I'm saying the maps have been drawn of Italy right so no yeah. one's doing I, a new map of Italy yeah right and if they do it's the wrong map of Italy <laughs> if it's interesting <laughs> probably right so it's it's like who so so the thing is is like if you're if this by some great fortune the universe comes to you mm. and invites you to step off the map
1: -hmm
2: What could be better than
1: that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I said now just I want to just tie one more thing together and then I think we're kind of good uh, exploring this is, is now this notion of contentment is a very interesting idea from a spiritual point of view or a materialistic point of view. Yeah, Like when you yeah. know somebody who has deep contentment, they're satisfied. <laughs> Now, what does the Buddha say? Nobody's satisfied in this particular realm of samsaric existence where we find ourselves. Even the gods are not satisfied. Yeah. Even the people with, who've made it are not satisfied. Even the people who are, are drenched in bliss are not really satisfied. Yeah. Because they want that result to happen again and again. Yeah. So, how would you equate contentment, which arguably is, I think, a powerful, positive thing to, to think about, Absolutely. with this edge that we're talking about and kind of like part of that edge is never being content I'm not content with the map of Italy I'm not content with doing that again so is it possible to have your edge and be content is what I'm asking
2: Mm. (laughs) (laughs) you know man (laughs) when I get content yeah, I'll answer your (laughs) question (laughs) but but I I want to say this to you um
1: uh, you do seem more content than you did two years ago by the way I feel I feel good yeah, your energetic is more content, don't you think?
2: Yes yes I mean I, the, yeah I the, the feeling is um, I mean I think contentment is a pretty edgy thing by itself mm. if we're in a world where many people are, are completely freaked out and dissatisfied right. And you and you run into a ha- an authentically content person, mm. and and you see that, just that alone is is a pretty intense thing to run into, right. and 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 for a lot of people that's like slamming into a wall or something like that. And I think actually Meister Eckhart talked about how he used different words than contentment, but I think he did talk about how just. I think he, he he used Christian terms for this, but I think just having a, having turned inward to the divine inside and being content with that that can make people certain people around you feel like they're on fire.
1: <laughs> Absolutely, yeah.
2: And what's edgier than that?
1: You know, I think that's a good moment to end on. Cool. Awesome. Very clear moment. And uh, thank you so much, Duncan, for participating in this conversation. It's part of our ongoing thread of talking about these kind of things together. Thanks for teaching me how to meditate. Okay. My pleasure. Okay. Thank you.